Well, it is extremely good to be with you this morning. And just by way of a quick introduction, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to continue to come here to share the Word of God. I appreciate your support, both financially and, and in your prayers. I would ask that you would continue to pray for me as I contemplate um, certain aspects of the future and what God has for me um, as things move forward. And when I'm able to elaborate more on that, I will do so. Um, but I also pray uh, that you ask for specific prayers as the school year comes upon us. So I will once again be volunteering as a discipleship leader at Potter's House Christian School. And I will also be substitute teaching again this fall. So just pray that uh, God would do a mighty work in the students um, at the school and that he would do a mighty work in myself and others who are working there as well. Alright, well, we are continuing our uh, series on the book of Luke, and we are, Lord willing, going to uh, finish this chapter of chapter 10. If you have your Bibles with you, um, turn to Luke chapter 10. This morning we're starting in verse 25. And I really have enjoyed this study because... I really appreciate the, the detail that uh, Dr. Luke put into his manuscript. Uh, he definitely proves, uh, along with the writings of the Apostle Paul that are very reasoned writings, that unlike what many people believe, you do not have to check your brains at the door to believe in the gospel. Um, it's very uh, logical very well presented um, because God is a God who does things decently and in order. And today we're going to learn a couple things. We're going to learn uh, Jesus is going to show us who our neighbor is and then he's going to show us how to set priorities in our lives. So uh, let's just have a quick uh, word of prayer and then we will begin in our text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that you would be with us once again and open the eyes of our heart. Show us what you want us to learn. Help us to know you more. Help us to love you more. Help us to be changed people for having been here under the sound of your word. Lord, help the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, well, the first uh, part here in Luke 10, 25-28, Jesus answers an important question with a question. And I think we can learn a lot from this because oftentimes when people challenge us in our faith, we can tend to just take whatever they're dishing out and kind of cower back like we don't have uh, much standing. I don't know about you, but I know I've been there. Instead of challenging them, and Jesus was very good at putting the ball back into other people's courts because he wanted them to understand the truths that were at stake. And when I think of the way Jesus handles this exchange, 
I think of Ray Comfort and the way that he evangelizes and the way that he asks people, are you a good person? And most of the time, they'll say, yes, I'm a good person. But then what does he do? He takes them to the law. He takes them to the Ten Commandments. He says, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever looked on a woman with lust in your heart? And he basically breaks down their defenses by saying, this is who you are. And this is why you need a Savior. And I really think he, he took a, a lesson from our Lord, because our Lord was good at, at doing that same thing. So, starting with verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, before we go on, I think it's very significant that it says he stood up and tempted him. Because there is a legitimate questioning that God does not uh, condemn. When Mary was told, you're going to have a baby, by the whole, uh, have a baby, even though you're not married, even though you've never been with a man, Mary said, how is this going to be? And God didn't strike Mary dead or strike her dumb as he did with Zacharias. He simply provided an answer to the question. So God knows the hearts, and he knows what a real question is. But Luke points out here that the purpose of this man's question was to tempt him, to make him say something hopefully in error. We know that Jesus never did that. He was never tripped up. But he said in verse 26, He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said, Thou hast answered rightly. Thou hast answered rightly. This do and thou shalt live. So, Jesus is, is basically setting the table here and saying, if you perfectly follow the law, then you can have eternal life. But then, this man starts thinking about this thing about the neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so, he's asking, who is my neighbor? And, and we're going to get into the story of the Good Samaritan as we go forward here, but I just, I wanted to... Um, bring our attention very quickly to a, a cross-reference in the book of Acts. The book of Acts 16, 30, and 31. Because as Jesus is talking and he's saying that, that you have to perfectly follow the law in order for eternal life, he also knows that we can't do it. 
And so he's eventually going to get, hopefully, we don't know if the lawyer actually changed his mind or if how all this worked. But but because uh, when he when he leaves him, we don't know the end of the story. But I just think it's very important for us to um, recall um, what the Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas when the Philippian jailer thought all the people were gone from the prison because there had been an earthquake, every jail cell opened, he thought they were all gone, he was going to kill himself, and Paul said, everyone is here. And that's kind of a miracle right there. I don't know if they just respected Paul and Paul had called out to them that we don't read in the text and said, stay where you are or what happened, but Paul somehow knew that they were all there. And when he came out and realized this, he says, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And again, he's not saying that your whole household will be saved because you believe. God doesn't have grandchildren. But what he is saying is that if your household agrees with this truth and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And we do know that himself, along with several members of his household, did indeed come to know the Lord. And the Philippian jailer actually cleaned their wounds and had them in his home. So, but we're going to get to a crucial question here in our Luke text as we get back into it. It's going to um, show that this man wasn't as righteous as maybe he thought because it says in the next verse, verse 29, it says, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And why did he say this? It's interesting to point out that I believe it was in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus said, you've heard it said, to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and do good to those who curse you. And he goes on to say, if you love only those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the, do not even the Pharisees do the same thing. And it doesn't say here that this man was a Pharisee, but I get the same vibe. Like, he knew the law. He said, I'm following it completely. But then he asks a question that shows that even he knows that he's not. Because how can he be following it completely to love his neighbor as himself if he doesn't know who his neighbor is? So, now Jesus is going to spend the next few verses telling us who our neighbor is. And I remember being slightly confused as a young boy about this story because I always thought that your neighbors were people that just lived on the street that you lived on. But that's why this story is here. So that we can see that it's more than that. So let's go ahead and read our second section and hear about Jesus talking about our neighbor. Starting in verse 29 of Luke 
chapter 10. <clears throat> While well, we already read 29, so we'll start in 30. And Jesus answering said unto him, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed where he was, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to his host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do likewise. This story is very uh, significant because it shows, as do so many other sections in the scripture, that God's economy is different than ours. The priest and the Levite both were supposedly pious people. They supposedly loved God and wanted everyone to know that they loved God. Yet when they saw someone in need, they passed by him on the other side. One thing I've noticed about Caring for others is sometimes you have to roll up your sleeves and get your, get your hands dirty. Sometimes you have to be willing to deal with inconveniences for their sake because you care about them more than you do yourself. And is that not what Paul tells us in Philippians Chapter 2, when he says, Let each esteem other better than themselves. And so these two pious men who should have known the right thing to do, they pass by on the other side. But then, this Samaritan, and if you know anything about Samaritans, you know that they were kind of half-breeds. They were half Jew, half Gentile, they were not respected by the Jews. And many people would go a day, would go way out of their way, even days journey out of their way to avoid the Samaritans. And even Jesus' disciples thought it strange when he needed to go through Samaria. And it says he must needs Go through Samaria. Because they were probably like, well, you can go around this way and avoid it. He's like, no, I need to go there. 
And then this Samaritan came along. And of course the implication is that this man is a Jew. But he comes along and he shows compassion to him. And he bound up his wounds and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And not only that, but he paid more money. And he said, whatever it takes to make this man comfortable, whatever it takes to get this man better again, do it and I will pay you when I return. So Jesus is showing us that being a neighbor is not a state of location, but it's a state of action. I don't know very many people in my general neighborhood in the Howard City area. I used to get out in the neighborhood a lot more when I lived where there were sidewalks. Now there is just dirt road and on top of that, there's less houses on the block than there used to be. So I don't really know very many of my, the people that live near us. But I have many people that I know that have been compassionate to me. Many people that have shown me love and support. And many people who God has placed in my life to do the same. And God has shown me throughout my adult life that that's what being a neighbor is all about. And so what is the end of this? Then Jesus doesn't say to him, notice this, Jesus doesn't say to him, the Samaritan is the neighbor. So often, when we are witnessing, when we're sharing the gospel, we want to answer all the questions. And I really think we need to take an approach where we ask questions. And by the answers that we're given, we will have a window into where the people are in their lives. And what we need to pray for them about and how we need to disciple them. But Jesus says to him, Which of these thinkest thou was the neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go and do likewise. See, at the beginning of this passage, the, the lawyer quoted what it meant to have eternal life. And he thought he had all the answers, but then Jesus breaks it down for him in this passage. And he shows him that it's not a location, but it's an action. It's not a vocation either. See, we think highly of people that minister the gospel. 
or that claim to minister the gospel. But what God thinks highly of is hearts that are turned toward him. We heard in the breaking of the bread this morning about the lady that threw the money into the treasury and she threw two small coins in. But Jesus, knowing her heart, said that she gave all she had because that was all she had. And she gave more because she gave all she had. So it wasn't the amount, but the heart behind it. As religious as these other two people seemed, they did not get the heart of being a neighbor the way this Samaritan did. Now I know that sometimes we wonder whether the parables that Jesus told were true stories, but he often starts them by saying a certain man. So I would not be surprised if this was an actual true story. But the Samaritan, even though he was despised by society, he had the means to help this man. He had no reason culturally to want to help this man. This man was a Jew, he was a Samaritan, he could have, he would have been more justified in the world's eyes to pass this man by than the men that did. And yet he stopped. And he didn't just stop and say, how are you doing? Because the man was almost dead, you know. And this is another thing we're good at doing. We may ask, how are you doing? But are we prepared for the answer? That's something that I've been convicted of because for a long time when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I give them the answer. I, I'm not good at just short general answers because I wear my heart on my sleeve. But I also know that if I am going to share with people how I am, then I need to be prepared for the consequences of hearing their answer. See, this man saw the man on the road and he poured oil on his wounds, but he didn't pour oil on his wounds and leave him there to continue to die. He poured oil on his wounds, put him on his donkey, which possibly he was riding up to this point, and then brought him to a place where he could get help. Because he had the power within him to do that. And sometimes we think of help for other people as this huge, these huge things that we can't accomplish on our own. But sometimes when God puts someone on your mind, and you just take the time to give them a phone call. It can mean a huge difference. I know sometimes when I'm having a hard day 
and someone calls me out of the blue just to see how I'm doing. It can help me a lot. And I've learned the hard way that when God prompts you to contact someone, you better do it because you don't know if they will always be there. I just want to look, if somebody can look up 1 John 3, 16 to 18. This is a little bit more about being a neighbor and about sharing the love of God. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. Whoever gets to it first may read it for us. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his balls of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? By little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So, when I think about this, uh, this passage, there's a song by Matthew West that comes to mind. And it's called, Do Something. And I think this, this song was written a little bit out of personal testimony, but he talks about how he looks at the problems in the world and he says, God, why aren't you doing anything to solve the problems of the world, to help the needy? And in the, through the course of the song, it basically says, God told me that he did do something. He created me. And he gave me these burdens so that I could go and be his hands and feet to help others. Jesus says that if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So when the Levite and the priest passed by on the other side, they were passing by Jesus. And when the Samaritan stepped off his donkey and helped this dying man so that he could live, he was helping Jesus. We have the same responsibility. We walk about in this world among the dead. Living among the dead. We often don't think about it in that stark of terms. But we are. And we were once dead. But we were quickened Because of the love of Christ. Because his blood on the cross of Calvary has been applied to us. And so we have this immense privilege to show the dead where to find life. And yet I will admit that it's easy to get worried about the things of this world and pass right on by people that need him 
And perhaps that's why from this story Luke transitions immediately into this little story of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were sisters. And what we find out through their several mentions in the Gospels that even on an earthly level, they were extremely close to Jesus. And it says in verse 38, Jesus is going to show us what's most important. He's going to show us the better part. Luke 10, 38. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about by much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, to help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So, as Jesus is going along, remember, Jesus has said already in this book, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But he at least had a temporary place to lay his head, or at least to rest with Mary and Martha. And so he goes into their house. And Mary sits at his feet and listens to him. And as a young kid, I, again, kind of thought, well, why is Mary being so lazy and why does God not respond more favorable to Martha when she wants Mary's help? But we need to have balance in all things. There's nothing wrong with serving. It's important to serve God. But it's also important that we not think mistake service for God as a relationship with God. If your answer, when someone says, how is your walk with the Lord, is, well, um, today I helped three old ladies cross the street, I raked the lawns of five neighbors, I went and I took kids to Bible school, I, you know, and you have this whole litany, this list of things, and it's quite possible. That your priorities, although they may be good, are misfocused. When I think of this passage, I think of Martha as a perfectionist. She probably already had the house clean. She probably already had most of the meal done, but she wanted it to be perfect. And she was so intent on it being perfect and everything going right that she almost missed what was going on 
The significance wasn't that her house was clean. The significance wasn't that the meal was done. The significance was that the Son of God was under her roof. And he wanted her, not her house, not her meal, as good as it probably was. So I don't think Mary is being lazy here. It's quite possible that she was helpful that day, just not to the degree that Martha thought. And so Jesus says, Mary took time to be at my feet. And the riches that she gets from that will not be taken away from her. And the thing is, when you spend time at Jesus' feet, when you spend time in His Word, you will have the strength to do the acts of service that He calls you to. But you can't feed others unless you're being fed. You can't minister to others unless you're being ministered unto. You can't show Jesus to others unless you know who Jesus is. <clears throat> I just want to uh, finish with one verse in Philippians chapter 4. And it says, I'm just going to read um, from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we are spending time with Christ, His peace will keep us. The world today is not very peaceful. There's a lot of upheaval. There's a lot of times when when I cry out to the Lord the words of Psalm 2, Why do the heathen rage, Lord? Why do the peoples of the earth plot the vain thing? I literally cry this out to the Lord. if not audibly, in my head. But I'm also able to cry out to the Lord from Psalm 121, verse 1, that says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh even from the Lord, 
who has made heaven and earth. And he doesn't cease to be the Lord because the devil is having a field day right now. The devil is working really hard to get people down, to take people down with him because he knows he lost. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will last forever. So do you want to have peace? Do you want to be able to serve God effectively? Spend time at his feet. Do you want to know who your neighbor is? It's whoever God brings into your life that has a need that you can meet. I pray that we would ask God on a daily basis to open our eyes to the needs of those around us so that we can meet them. In closing, I'll just say this. The book of James is very clear. It says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. That's my prayer for you. And if you have never trusted Christ, then you can't experience what I'm talking about. You can't experience peace at Jesus' feet because you can't stand the presence of your sin. But the good news is that he can take your sin and then accept you at his feet. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Today I am the righteousness of God because of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And today you can have the same. My prayer for you is that you would before you hit the pillow tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these pictures that you paint for us. We thank you for this lawyer, Lord, and his question and how Jesus knew exactly how to answer it, Lord, even though he was trying to dissuade him and tempt him, Lord. And we think of Mary and Martha, and Lord, I think we see a little of both in each of us. There are times when we rest at your feet, and there are times when we get so caught up in the cares of this world and the things we want to accomplish that we forget that we need your power to do it. And in order to have your power, we need to spend time with you. Lord, I pray your blessing upon each of these people here. I thank you for the saints of Holland Gospel Chapel. And I ask that you would be with us as we go our separate ways and guide and guard us with your peace. I pray this in Jesus' name.